Welcome back to the Creator Club Podcast. This week, I've got a very exciting interview with a really amazing guest. Today, we're chatting with Adam Greenberg, a fellow Canadian that has had a really cool career history. Adam has been a content creator in many different forms over the past 15 years. He's toured as a DJ, been a live event MC, a radio host, and most recently, Adam has co-founded a size-inclusive men's brand called One Bone. With all this cool experience, I was super excited to talk with Adam about the process of building an audience, the importance of body confidence for men, and what it's like to start the first ever size-inclusive big and tall brand, and how to balance being multi-passionate and changing careers. By this point, I'm sure that you are super curious to hear more about Adam, so let's dive into the interview. Welcome to the Creator Club Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Steckley, YouTube creator and creative entrepreneur. The Creator Club podcast is a workshop style show dedicated to teaching creators and entrepreneurs the best strategies for social media marketing and content creation. Whether you're into Instagram, creating on YouTube, trying TikTok or producing podcasts, this show is made for you. And because here at Creator Club, we believe in teaching everything you know, and the community is more important than competition. This club is open to everyone. Come and join us. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Creator Club podcast. And Adam, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to chat with you today about your super fascinating career path. I know you've been a content creator for 15 years. You've toured as a DJ. You've been a live event MC, a radio host, and now you're a co-founder of the first ever size-inclusive big and tall brand one bone which i think is super super cool and that that's an amazing lineup of accomplishments which i want to dive into as we go but i want to kick off our conversation today just hearing the story of what strings all of those different things together i feel like they're all creative in their own right but also in very different ways so what is your like superhero origin story as a creator how did it all get started all these different different sort of ways of creativity all being part of one career where did it start um, I think this superhero origin story, which I love, by the way, uh, probably started at summer camp um, when I was sort of dubbed the nickname T-Bone at about the age of 12. And it basically stemmed from me making my counselors laugh nonstop. And they were like, you need a nickname. And I was like, well, if I need a nickname, give me a nickname. So they did. And they nicknamed me T-Bone. And ever since then, it's been somewhat of a branding experiment. Basically, at camp, they had me, you know, dancing on the stage. And then in the dining hall for lunch, they had me like serving sandwiches to people and and just becoming familiar with all the different age groups, counselors, campers alike. Um, And I just I love to have fun. I love to make people smile. And I think that's really where it all started. And then, you know, dancing at like bar mitzvahs and stuff. I was always like the crazy kid on the dance floor. And I think it was just always infectious. And even in the classrooms, I was always the class clown, always trying to entertain my classmates more than learning. And uh, I think that's where it really all started. 
Yeah, totally. I, I love that. When you were a kid, did you kind of like see yourself sort of growing up to be like a touring, like recording artist? Because I feel like that's such a big thing. Like I know when I was a kid, I used to go around being like, I'm going to be a rock star. Like that's kind of what I said my like dream job was. So did you kind of see that for yourself as like something you would actually want to do? Or did that sort of develop like later in life? I, I feel like that pretty much started to develop once I was in high school and once I started to become a part of the plays in theater and I started to understand that uh, you could be doing this, you could be entertaining people, you know, obviously not as a living in high school, but that was really a segue to me understanding that you could basically cater to an audience through entertaining. And then that sort of led me into the direction of emceeing you know, live events like bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and weddings and stuff like that. Bar mitzvahs are uh, basically a, a Jewish celebration. And in Montreal, they're quite big and grandiose. And I, I as well was a mad scientist. So I was teaching kids in elementary school in extracurricular activities, you know, how to do fun science activities, but also, again, have a good time with it. So I think that's sort of when the understanding that I could entertain as a career would take shape. Mm -hmm. I feel like for so many of us, like creators who become eventually like freelancers or like entrepreneurs doing whatever we're passionate about, like as a career, there's always a bit of a tipping point where you go from, okay, I understand this is something I love to do. For me, it was YouTube videos. When I was a kid, I would make very cringy YouTube videos about like what Hogwarts house I was in or whatever. And like for you as the, the right. mad scientist or making people laugh. How did you find the connection then between like, okay, I know that I love doing this, but how am I actually going to like turn this into like a, you know, grown up career? What steps did you take maybe like after high school and stuff to actually start getting those gigs and like turning it into a job? I'm just always curious how people go about it because especially in the creative space, there's no like very clear path of how to do it. You know, if you want to be like a doctor, you go to med school, for example, but if you want to be a DJ or an MC yeah. or a YouTuber, there's not really that clear cut path. So how did you find those steps? And then what were the steps to actually turning that into a job? The first sort of realization that, again, I could sort of marry these, you know, worlds and entertain and create and create a career and all these things. I was um, 18 and went on a, a family trip. Well, a boy's family trip with my dad and my brother and some close family friends. We went up to Buffalo for a tailgate um, at a Buffalo Bills game. And I brought my video camera and I literally filmed the whole thing. And again, at this point, you know, it was a little like, you know, VCR kind of recorder. And I just filmed the whole thing. And then I got home and I went into iMovie and I basically played around with every possible filter and spent probably hundreds of hours editing this epic you know, tailgating weekend, which every now and then I still go back and watch because like, it's important to love the things that you started doing and where you came from. And I think that that sort of passion of, of documenting and creating and then editing and all of these things really led to me again, you know, emceeing private events at a, at a pretty young age at about 17, I was fortunate to already be in that kind of community. And then on the flip side, because of that sort of experience with editing, I went to an editing like night program at a, at a school here in Montreal. 
And I just learned how to sort of polish that editing skill. And then I actually started to edit, you know, wedding videos and, and commercials and stuff like that for a company here in Montreal. And again, all of these things, they all kind of intertwined and it sort of started to make me realize that as a freelance, you know, I could be creating a living for myself. Fortunately, at that time, I was still living under my parents' roof and it allows the opportunity to experiment and explore and try and navigate and find those things that uh, you are passionate about. But that was really important to me is uh, how can I take what I am passionate about and make money off doing that? And again, those are sort of the ins and outs of how that all went down. So Mm -hmm. what I would suggest to those who are who are looking to get into that world. Now it's a very different story because at the time, you know, YouTube wasn't as prevalent and Instagram didn't exist and TikTok didn't exist. So now uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to speak to a bunch of different high schools and stuff. And what I tell them is just try and do it. Just try and start creating. If you like it, that that's the number one place to start. And if you don't think it's that great, that's okay because we all had that, you know, Buffalo tailgating video that was complete crap, but it's where you started and you have to put something out in order to get better. If you don't put anything out, then you're never going to get better than your last, you know, YouTube video or Instagram post or whatever it might be. Exactly. I think that's so true. And I think that a lot of people feel intimidated by getting started in some of these creative fields. And I think there's kind of a misconception that you have to have this really like innate talent to be a video creator or or be a musician or, or whatever. But I feel like the longer that I've been doing this kind of work and like talking with people who are interested in getting started or people who say like, oh, if I was a YouTuber, I would do X or Y. I really think that the actual thing that sets creators apart is not necessarily any sort of like, you know, special sauce or like innate talent. It's actually like the bravery to just get started because it it really is scary. And I think that it's about having that willingness to put yourself out there and knowing like, yeah, this is very vulnerable and I could be made fun of for it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That, that also comes with the territory. I mean, I having, a lot of experience on YouTube and having other very successful friends in the YouTube space and just being on the internet in general, the hate or the negativity is kind of par for the course, unfortunately. You know, the the internet is supposed to be, in my opinion, this really beautiful, harmonious place that connects the world and makes the world a much smaller place in a beautiful way. But unfortunately, there are so many people who just spew out negativity that it comes with the territory and being a creator. You're going to be made fun of for how you look or how you speak or why you filmed it this way and why you asked this question and so on and so forth because they think they could do it better, but they don't. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that sets, like you said, sets content creators apart and from the people who decide to do it and not do it. Exactly. And I think that it's something to like always keep in mind, especially when you're getting started is like, that is the thing that sets you apart is like, they aren't actually making the content like you are. So, you know, it's always good to take like true advice or feedback or whatever. But when when the criticism sort of leans towards the overly negative, then it's important to just know, 
you know, the people who are telling you that aren't the ones that are actually brave enough to go out and make that content that they think they could do such a better job at. Yeah. How, how do you deal with it? You put out an astronomical amount of content and I know how exhausting that is just without even the comments and stuff like that. But how do you deal with it from, let's say, a mental health standpoint and just making sure that you're still doing what you love and it remains something that you love? Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, it's maybe like a little bit sad to say, but I've gotten very used to it because I've been making YouTube videos for so long. And also I feel very fortunate that I'm at a point now where I have such a, a, a kind and supportive audience. Like I very, very rarely get any sort of mean comments. And if I have a video that mm. gets a, a lot more views than I know is like just my subscribers, I tend not to look at the comments as closely either. But I kind of feel like I had a bit of a trial by fire when I was younger, because when I was like, 13, 14, 15, I actually was making videos about like religion, politics, feminism, like that kind of thing. And I got a lot of hate back then, way more hate than you get for making videos about like social media marketing advice. So I feel like back then I was very used to being like attacked for things that were very near and dear to me. And now I like definitely don't get that as much. So yeah, for me, it's like distancing myself a little bit and also just knowing like, yeah, I'm the one making the videos and there's always like 10 nice comments for every mean one. So I'm sure that's something that you've come across too in your career of like, you've done a lot of touring, a lot of performing for audiences. And I'm curious, like, how do you find the confidence to like get up on stage in front of people? Because it's very different. I mean, in some ways it's the same, but to me, it feels very different than creating a YouTube video. Like if I make a YouTube video and, you know, 500,000 people see it, I don't even register that that many people have watched it. But I feel like when you stand in front of a large crowd, like you feel how many people are there. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think it really stems back to those days in camp where at a very young age, again, my counselor sort of built this resilience to get up on that stage and dance and, you know, not not make fun of myself but but use the things that people would maybe make fun of me as my strength and that just sort of continued throughout high school again getting on the stage and and acting and and you know being a part of these incredible high quality theater productions in, at a high school level at, at the school that I went to St. George's here in Montreal we even toured you know we went to BC and we we did plays out there and stuff like that. So I think that all of these steps really allowed for that. And then, you know, emceeing all these private events and stuff like that. And then funny enough, now I'm a radio host and, and one of the major disconnects between being a radio host and let's say a podcaster and a YouTuber is that you're speaking to such a huge audience. If you amass the audience, but you're really just speaking to the camera, you know, and, and it's a very different dynamic where I was sort of built with the more people, the better in front of me. And then when I transitioned into radio, it was a very different world. And you have to sort of practice this natural sound where you're speaking into this microphone. Maybe you're looking at someone through a screen, which now we're all very used to with regards to the pandemic, but you're sort of reprogramming yourself to speak to many, but just in there. And again, my background in in live events allowed for me to be touring and performing in front of thousands and thousands of people, which that 
oddly enough, is more my comfort zone than this. Obviously, it's a skill that I've built and and having the background of the live really helped this, but it's it, it they're two different muscles in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I find it so interesting to think about the difference between the sort of like physical present audience and like the ethereal, like somewhere someday audience. Because when I was a kid, I was so nervous about public speaking. Like I absolutely hated it. I remember in like grade five and six, we would have to like write speeches and then like present them to the class. And I just, I really, really hated it. And there was like a speech competition you could sign up for. And I remember thinking who would ever voluntarily give a speech in front of a group of people? Like I just couldn't imagine it. And then I started a YouTube channel and obviously at the beginning, like very few people are watching. So you don't even really think about there being an audience. Obviously as my audience on YouTube grew, I got older and more mature, but I also got more confident. I think partly through the practice of like speaking to the camera, but now I feel quite comfortable speaking in front of like a physical crowd of people. Like now if I, you know, I've done a couple like keynotes or whatever at conferences back in the day when we used to see people in person. And I think that my, YouTube experience gave me a lot of confidence there. So I just find it so interesting how they're very different things, but they can kind of like play into each other. And you've been like on all different sides of that with the different sort of work that you've done doing live events and then being in radio. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and what is interesting about what you said is that I think it's, it's one of the number one fears for people is public speaking. And you know, when you brought back the idea of public speaking in school, that to me was terrifying as well. I, I last night I was actually a moderator on a on a Zoom webinar all about inclusion and in including uh, people with special needs into social enterprising and and gaining employment and stuff like that. And they wrote out a script for me that I had to, you know, read and follow, which is infinitely harder than just having this conversation between you and I. And I think that, you know, going back to high school, it was all about, well, if you're public speaking, you have to write out an essay, essentially, you have to come close to memorizing it and try to maintain the eye contact and and look down at your paper and not get lost. And just the, the amount of things that are going through your head in that moment are terrifying. And I think that, you know, looking back on schooling and stuff like that, I, I think that even that is somewhat, it's out of place in a way. It's, it's not organic. It's not natural for how you would maybe be presenting, you know, in public and speaking maybe off the cuff or, you know, from the heart. So it's, it, I, but maybe that's intended to build up that sort of fear in a sense and try and either combat it or know that you're not comfortable with it. Yeah, exactly. It is kind of funny thinking back because now I, I really do feel that like the confidence that you can find in public speaking, whether that's like on a YouTube video or on the radio or in a podcast or whatever, I think comes from 
not not having to memorize a script for one because that's very intimidating but also being passionate about what you're talking about because I remember when I was in grade eight the the first time I ever felt good about a speech that I gave in front of the class now that we're diving into these memories is when I decided to write my speech about the Beatles so I I wrote my whole speech about the history of the Beatles who they were like their impact on music or whatever and I remember just feeling like I you know batted it out of the park because I I really gave like a great speech and it's because I cared about what I was talking about you know and I think that when you are in a creative career path, obviously that's a big benefit is you can, you know, speak about, about what you love um, in, in whatever medium you're doing it. So I think that passion is a big part of it too. Yeah. If you're a Beatles fan, you'll be interested to know uh, I, I'm a new dad and uh, our daughter's name is Lennon. Oh, cute. Congratulations. Thank you. We're not really Beatles fans, but uh, like, I mean, who doesn't love the Beatles, yes, but it wasn't based on the Beatles. But if you're a Beatles fan, you'd be, it's cool to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is super fun. So now I kind of want to chat a bit about another aspect of your career that I find super, super fascinating. And that is being the co-founder of the size inclusive brand One Bone. Could you tell us a little bit about how that started? It, it sounds like you started by actually designing clothes for yourself, right? Yes. So when I was touring and DJing, I was friends with many thinner fellas and uh, they were wearing these really cool shirts that looked great. And I was basically stuck wearing my generic t-shirts that didn't look great. And I had to try and be creative and layer something on top of it or put something underneath it to make it stand out. And again, being on a stage and, and, performing night in night out in the clubs uh you want to look cool and i unfortunately couldn't go into a shopping mall and find something that either a fit me properly or b look trendy and if it looked on trend then it didn't fit and if it fit then it didn't look good so i actually went to a fabric store felt like a million different fabrics and felt something that i would be comfortable wearing on stage went to a friend's mom's house. Uh, she was a seamstress. She measured me up and in her basement, she produced and custom made my own clothing. And that's what I was wearing for about two years on stage and loving it, feeling so good about myself, feeling so comfortable and confident. And one of the biggest issues as a DJ is you're always on the mic and you're always telling people to put your hands up in the air and my gut and my butt was being exposed when I would do that. And so I made the t-shirts long enough that if I put my hands all the way up in the air, it didn't do that. And then I was at an event one night and a family friend of mine who actually started in the fashion industry about 35 years ago in women's plus size clothing said, Hey, where'd you get that t-shirt? And I said, I made it myself. And he said, call me tomorrow. <laughs> and I did. And uh, we hit the ground running. And he identified that there was this gap in the market, which I would have never really identified because I would have just continued to wear my own clothing, been very happy and not realized how much of a problem this was. And so we set out to create One Bone. And we first launched it in June of 2018. So we're just over two and a half years old and it started out as just big and tall because that's what we were trying to solve as an issue. So we started from size one to size five, which was basically double XL to size six XL. 
and my partners being a bit thinner than myself, they got a little bit jealous that uh, I got to wear these awesome t-shirts and they didn't. And that was a point that really hit home for me is that when I was going through these malls and, and feeling extremely excluded, now I had something and I was excluding my own partners and that didn't feel right. So we decided to develop the smaller sizes as well. And we also grew the uh, bigger sizes. So now we're, we like to call ourselves the first ever size inclusive big and tall company, which is so accurate. And we range from size minus two to size seven, which is medium to eight XL. And that's how that all came to be. I think that is so cool. I mean, anybody who has seen the kind of content that I post on Instagram would know I'm very passionate about um, size inclusivity and, and body acceptance because it's something that I have also struggled with like throughout my life as a, I guess I'm on, I'm on like the small end of plus size for women, but I'm also like quite tall. So I just feel like I've always gone through life feeling like the stuff at the mall is just like not made to fit me. And I think there's been so many really, really great strides in terms of the bo- the body positivity movement, especially for women over the past several years um, online. And there's a lot of companies that have sort of come to meet that demand. But I feel like we don't see as much of that um, when it comes to men and and talking about body image for men. So I just think it's it's really, really cool what you're doing. You hit the nail right on the head. That's it. You hit the nail right on the head. Uh, when we were first getting into doing this, um, I, you know, I, I scoured Instagram, I scoured Facebook, I saw if there were anyone else that was pushing the movement forward in terms of body positivity for men. And there were, there were some guys out there, but it was very few and far between. And I saw the women's movement pushing forward and, and I, I became a bit jealous, I guess, in a sense where, you know, guys feel a certain way about their body. We feel insecure. We feel lack of confidence. We feel all these same things that uh, women are now, you know, screaming out from a megaphone. And I just... I felt like there was a place for us to fit as well. And what I love about body positivity and size inclusivity and and just all of these things. And even I mentioned, you know, I was doing the webinar about inclusion with people with unique needs. I think just the importance of including people, and it even correlates back to us talking about negative comments on the internet and stuff like that. Like, there are so many positive people out there and there are so many people who are creating uh, a happy ecosystem in the world. And that is why we're so proud to be a part of this movement and, and joining forces with so many incredible men and women and people in general. We have tons of you know non-binary people as well mm-hmm. that love one bone and transgender and, and they love the way it fits on their body, which is something that they have shared with me is they've, they've never experienced that before as well. So it's, it's been really cool to be a part of this positive train and we just hope to continue it and, and push it forward. Mm -hmm. Have you felt like, I'm sure there's been lots of people that, uh, that have come to you and felt like you were saying that there's never really been something like this for them before, because I think that a lot of us that sort of fall outside of what the big, 
like brands in the mall are creating for, like we do feel excluded and it can often lead to feelings of like, oh, well, maybe my body isn't worthy of like looking good in clothes because when you're so used to just like wearing whatever is left over and kind of making it work, you kind of get the sense that like, oh, well, it doesn't matter what I wear or like what I look like isn't important. So I'm sure you've gotten like lots of positive feedback from people who feel really affirmed and confident because of your clothes. That confident is the key word here that, uh, again, I didn't realize when I was wearing my own stuff, the difference, um, that t-shirt was making for myself until we started one bone until the messages started, you know, obviously not to pour in at the beginning because you got to start one brick at a time. But now on the daily, we get messages from people who wear one bone constantly, I didn't realize my confidence could be this good. I didn't realize I could feel so good walking into a room. I didn't feel like I could look good on a Zoom call, you know, while we're all stuck in our houses. All of these messages and and the community that One Bone has become is just like it, it you know, it, it goes back to my passion for entertaining and I didn't realize that unlocking this sort of new level of entertainment would happen in my life where us, you know, the partners and co-founders of One Bone have created this product, but it's more than a product. It's it's just it's an understanding that it doesn't matter what size you are, it doesn't matter what color you are, what your sexual orientation is, what your gender is, whatever, you belong somewhere and you also deserve to feel and look good about yourself. And uh, that's been what's resonating incredibly over these past two and a half years with One Bone. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you've ever come across this sort of sentiment, because I feel like this might be one of the struggles with kind of getting like body acceptance and talking about body image for men kind of off the ground is I have a lot of, I mean, as, as I'm sure we all do, I've got lots of men in my life that are of diverse sizes. And I think for a lot of them, they're kind of like conditioned to just be like, oh, well, I don't care what I look like. Like it's a, it's a girl thing to care about how you look. Um, it's sort of one of the societal stereotypes that we all deal with. And so I think, especially for a lot of bigger guys, it's just like, oh, well, I don't really care if I look bad, like that kind of thing. So have you come across people that have maybe gone on a bit of a journey of like, you know what, it's actually okay to care about what I look like and to feel good about how I look rather than just ignoring it. Cause I think that can be an, a common sentiment is we can just say like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I'll look however I look. But I think that there is something really powerful about learning to love how you look and, and choosing clothes that really do f make you feel good. Yeah. It's, it's learning to love how you look at any size, because if you are interested in, you know, becoming healthier, becoming something physically different than you are now, it doesn't mean that you don't need to love the person that you are right now. It just means that you love this person and you want to work towards whatever your goals might be and love that person just as much as you did the person 10 pounds ago or 20 pounds ago or one pant size ago or whatever it might be. And we have a lot of people who, you know, will see our brand at first and they'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll stick with my, you know, three t-shirts for 12 bucks because that's, I'm fine with it. And we have a lot of those guys who kind of stick around in the one bone bubble without, you know, buying a t-shirt. You don't need to buy a t-shirt to be a part of the community and, and engaging and interacting. But we have a lot of those guys who just sort of are hesitant at first. And then for whatever reason, 
they pull the trigger and they try out one bone. And what they come to realize really quickly is that, like you said, I can care about how I look. I can feel great about who I am right now. And not only that, but the difference between, let's say, a one bone shirt and a generic t-shirt is that uh, a big experience that I had and that so many people have shared within the one bone community is that they'll generally buy a t-shirt, they'll wear it once, they'll feel great in that t-shirt that one time, and then they'll put it in the wash and then they'll go put it on again. And it looks like a totally different t-shirt. Either it's too short or too tight or the neck completely, you know, wavers. Mm -hmm. So that's another big thing that we really focused on with One Bone was to create a product that you could wash a hundred times, you know, a thousand times, as many times as you want, and you're going to put it on and it'll still look the way it did when you brought it out of that package. So we definitely have seen so many people who, again, hesitant or try it like right out of the bat. And they're just like, wow, I, I feel great. And I like that I feel good. You know, I, this is a different feeling for me. And I feel just incredible wearing something that makes me feel great. Mm -hmm. Something that has come up so much in, in just us talking about One Bone is you keep mentioning the community. And I'd be curious to hear about, because so many people that listen to this podcast and myself are interested in you know social media marketing, growing communities mm -hmm. online and building real relationships. I'd be really curious to hear about your approach to growing that community online. Like, do you run the Instagram or like, is there a team that works on it? How have you built up this space where people feel so included and I'm excited to like hang out in that space because I think that's a really unique thing to be able to provide online that a lot of brands struggle to do, to be honest. And I, and I feel like you're doing a good job of it. Well, first of all, thank you. And yeah, so I, based on my background in film, I create all the content for One Bone. And also we have a ton of user generated content where people in the community are so happy to share how they look in One Bone. So they're creating a lot of content as well. Um, and in terms of, you know, community management and, you know, being in the DMs and stuff like that, it's myself and my partner, Sam, who we are just so passionate. And that is our priority is to make every guy, every woman, every person who reaches out to us feel as though they're talking to their best friend. And that's what we've sort of coined it at One Bone is best friend customer service. I hated shopping online. And we started our brand, you know, prior to the pandemic where you're starting to be educated on shopping online. And it's, you know, a lot of people's only option now. But before the pandemic, I didn't like shopping online. I didn't, I wanted to go to a mall. I wanted to feel the t-shirt before I put it on, even though I couldn't fit into it. And we, we wanted to make sure that that same sort of hatred towards online shopping wasn't happening amidst the One Bone community. And, and when you bring up the word community and you know with yourself and the content that you're creating, it's all about community. It's all about being an important influencer. And, you know, I've heard, again, I'm a fan of your stuff and I've heard the way you speak about being an influencer. And I love in particular the video that you shared about how you don't need to have a hundred thousand plus followers to be an influencer. And I'll even break it down even less because you're talking about, you know, brand collaborations and stuff like that. 
with, you know, people of 10,000 followers on Instagram, et cetera. But to be an influencer, to work on building a community, it always starts with one person. And the idea and the notion of being an influencer and having to build a community of millions of people is astronomical and it makes it very hard to start doing whatever you choose to do. If you break it down to one person at a time, then it allows the ease of building a community. It's, it's, and what it is, is all about starting and cultivating friendships because you start with one person, you're talking about something you're passionate about, or you're doing something you love and they love that same thing. And then your community becomes two people and then they share it with one other person or two other people. And again, that's how a community is built. It's one by one. And the more your community grows, it becomes exponential because you have so many more people talking about what you're up to. But that again is just the essential part of starting, whether it's a brand, whether it's a community online, whether you want to be a a TikTok creator or an Instagram creator, or you want to make t-shirts or you want to make paintings and try and sell those. It's all about creating a community that is passionate about the same things that you're passionate about. And it's one by one. And that's how you'll build a really organic, strong and loyal group of people that feel the same way you do. Mm -hmm. I really couldn't agree more. I feel like people really underestimate just how much it's about that one-on-one connection, because I think when a lot of folks get started as creators, we have that, yeah, like millions of fans sort of picture in our minds because that's who, you know, the biggest influencers are or whatever, but truly it really is about just making friends, which like sounds kind of silly, but it, it really is true. And I think that for me, that, kind of became a part of my Instagram strategy because when I started on YouTube, the primary reason you kind of started a YouTube channel back in like 2009 is because you wanted to kind of meet people who had the same interests as you because maybe your small town didn't have as many Harry Potter nerds as you were hoping or whatever. And (laughs) then you get to make those connections online. And I think that it's building an Instagram community is exactly that. That's the first building blocks. And then of course, it it does come a point where can you really have a true friendship with, you know, 50,000 different people? Well, no, but you can start to cultivate those connections at the beginning. And then eventually, ideally, your followers also have community with one another and like meet up and, you know, have those connections. So yeah, I think that that is really the most like authentic strategy. Yeah, it's, you know, it goes back to when I was touring and stuff. And by the way, if anyone's listening and wants to check it out, you could look up wonderful. So the number one D-A-F-U-L on YouTube or SoundCloud or wherever. We're we're not working on music and touring anymore. We it was myself and a business partner and we went separate ways. But what I gained from that experience and what I'm seeing now with One Bone is that that is the importance is it's all about creating friendships. And what you said about, you know, how could you be friends with 50,000 people? Like it is kind of possible. You know, it's, it's sometimes hard to manage. It doesn't mean that those 50,000 people are going to be interacting at every second of the day. But, you know, back when I was creating music and touring and we had a very strong following you know, you, you get messages here and there throughout the day. And it's, it's basically just kind of like your friends checking in, you know? And I, again, when you break it down to these kinds of forms of communication, 
it becomes more tolerable, manageable, and easier to get over that hurdle of starting and, and making it about one person. And then, you know, the more you grow, of course, you know, if you're, if you're creating a business like we are with one bone at a certain point, you know, scalability is a factor and all of these things, but so far our business has scaled incredibly well and we're still able to manage it from a very person to person kind of, you know, situation. So it's, it's just, it's all in how you stack up these hurdles and challenges in your head and break them down to, to become easier things to deal with. Mm-hmm. 100%. Well, Adam, I have really appreciated getting to hear your story today and just learning more about like your career path and all the different things that you've done. And I'd be curious, just as we start to wrap things up here, what advice would you have for somebody who is um, maybe a creative who's just getting started and has a lot of different passions because I think something that really stands out to me about your career so far is all of the different things that you've done and managed to be successful at. Cause so often we feel like you have to have a niche, you have to stick to one thing. And I feel like you're proof that there is space to be able to do so many different things that you're passionate about and pivot and try new things. So what advice would you give to like a multi-passionate creative person who wants to embark on a career that they're passionate about? Like what lessons have you learned that you would really want to pass on about that? First of all, I love the term multi-passionate. That's really cool. And the advice that I would give is to A, make sure that you're doing something that you love, whether it's, again, whether you're studying to be a doctor or whether you want to build a clothing brand or whether you want to be an Instagram content creator, the next piece of advice is to make sure that you're not hyper-focused on the numbers and the amount of people watching. And, you know, algorithms play such a huge part in how, and and you are the queen of making sure the algorithm is in check and how do you, you know, sort of create um, your content to make sure that you're following into these algorithms. But the algorithm will always change. The thing that won't change is your passion for creativity your passion for creating and for you to just continue to pursue to do that. If you love it, then the numbers, whatever those might look like to you will follow, whether it is subscribers, whether it is dollars, whether it is free t-shirts from a company like one bone, whatever it might be, that goal will eventually see itself through. If you're doing something that you love and you're consistent and all of these things, the other thing to make sure is to, again, just block out all the negativity that comes with starting and not starting, you know, sharing your idea with many people before you start it, they're all going to say, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Clothing. Great. Or music. Yeah. You want to be, you know, even my parents who were supportive they didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, you know, make sure that you're staying true to yourself. And if you believe in something, and, and again, it's something that makes you happy, you should be able to come out the other end. And I, I think that is the advice I would give to anybody is just try doing it, you know, do something you love and just try it. 
Mm-hmm. I think that is super sage advice. And I really agree that if you really, really love what you're doing and you can build up the courage to just go for it, you'll never regret it. It'll just be a very fulfilling experience to to go after whatever you're passionate about creatively and, and just, yeah, not worry about that negative feedback and, and just yeah. go for it. And, and the other thing, and now, you know, I'm 33, I'm a new dad, I'm a husband, and, and I think, I'm not sure, you know, who would be listening to this, whether they're in their 20s or they're in their 30s or 40s or whatever it might be. But I think that something that I didn't necessarily know in my 20s or my late teens is that the portrait of success will, will continue to change. And when I was in my early 20s and embarking on this journey to, you know, create this huge following and tour and perform in front of hundreds of thousands of people, not just thousands of people, the idea of not achieving that to me was devastating at a young age. Now looking back, first of all, I gained so much from every ounce of that experience. And again, as you move from... 20 to 25, to 25 to 28, to 28 to 29, to 29 to 30. And plus, these portraits of success will change with what you're doing in your career. So don't necessarily let you know that big lofty goal be the end all be all. Let it be a goal, but let it also be understood that if you don't necessarily reach that goal, the path along the way that was actually the goal to be able to create the next, you know, deviation of what your career might look like. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I think that is a really awesome note to end on. So thank you so much again, Adam, for coming on the show and, and sharing your story and your advice with us. Can you let everybody who's listening know where they can find more about you and uh, one bone online? Sure. Instagram. My name is at Adam Greenberg one. And if you have any questions for me or anything at all, I respond to all DMs. So I, and I love to know more about people and I just, I'm, I'm a sponge like that. And if you are looking for a better fitting t-shirt for yourself or your man or whoever it may be, uh, check out our brand onebone.com size inclusive from minus two to size seven, which is medium to eight XL. And uh, please send us a message on Instagram at one bone brand, and we'll help you with your sizing. And if you don't want to buy a t-shirt, just join the community because it's, it's just such a positive group of people that, you know, daily are just becoming bigger and bigger. Don't mind the pun. Um, But it's just, it's, it's a really cool group of people. So And I thank you for having me because, uh, again, like I said, I am a fan and I know I I reached out and and again, I reached out because I am a fan, but it's really a pleasure to be meeting you and and sharing this time with you and learning more about yourself as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been a great chat and we will see you in the next one. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Creator Club Podcast. If you listen to this entire episode, I want to know who you are. Send me a DM on Instagram at Katie Steckley so we can chat. Do you want to be part of the official Creator Club? You can join my Insider Squad Facebook group by going to katiesteckley.com slash club. I'd love to see you there. 
Finally, if you're looking for more value-packed content like this, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Katie. Go to my channel and search Instagram hacks, and I promise you won't be disappointed. If you want to hear more episodes like this and support this show to continue, please leave me a review in iTunes. It really helps me out, and you just might get featured on the next episode as the review of the week. Leave your IG handle in the review so I can give you a shout out. Again, thanks so much for listening, and as always, I hope you are having adventures and following your dreams, and I'll catch you next week, Creator Club.